Feel like you've got a lot on your plate, or maybe you've got so much going on it couldn't possibly fit on just one plate. You've got a lot of plates, fully loaded, spinning at full speed. Well, you're not alone, and you've come to the right place. I'm Liz Cerati. Welcome to Seven Plates Spinning, a podcast serving up ideas and inspiration for keeping all those plates in the air. I'm always trying to find any silver lining to this pandemic disaster, and we've talked about a few of them on prior episodes, like getting to spend more time together with our families. Today, we're going to talk about another one, which is the increased flexibility many people have now in terms of where and how they work. If you have an office job that kept you shackled to an office building, the lockdown likely means you're working from home right now. Some companies are moving towards reopening offices. A New York Times article this week cited data from the Castle Group that said about a quarter of employees across the U.S. are going back into offices to work these days. More in some geographies than others. For instance, numbers are quite a bit higher in Texas than New York, San Francisco, or Chicago. Some people are anxious to get back to the office, though I kind of question whether it's the office they miss or the ability to pop out to their favorite lunch spot midday or grab a coffee or catch up with coworkers over a drink at the end of the day, maybe. But the Times article also cites a PWC survey from late 2020 that indicated many people would prefer to continue working remotely at least three days a week after the pandemic. And some companies seem to be embracing this shift, allowing employees a lot more flexibility to work remotely at least some of the time. I do work with one company that had offices on both coasts before the pandemic, but is now operating fully remote, indefinitely. And while they may open offices again at some point, they've also started hiring people in other parts of the country, meaning some of their employees will almost definitely be fully remote post-pandemic. Add in the fact that many school systems around the country are still either fully or partly remote, So even our kids are not as rooted to one place as they were before, and you have an environment that's making it possible for people to consider options that have never before in our lifetimes felt quite so possible. I'm talking specifically about becoming a digital nomad, which is defined by Wikipedia as someone who uses technology to live and work while traveling. The decision had been something I had been kicking around for years and years. Someday I'll quit my job and spend a year traveling. That's Kathleen O'Donnell. She took the leap and quit her corporate job back in 2018. She had saved up enough to take a year off and just travel without working, which sounds like a dream to me. At the time, she intended to come back to the U.S. and get another corporate gig after her adventure. But somewhere along the way, her plans changed. But the more I traveled, the more I thought, no, that's just not uh, for me anymore. And so I decided I had to figure out a way that I could keep traveling and keep living abroad and still earn money to live on. When I caught up with Kathleen, she was hunkered down in split Croatia, where she's been for the past six months, longer than she normally stays in one place. But there are certainly worse places on earth to ride out the pandemic. Today, Kathleen makes a living as a freelance writer. But she says she's met other digital nomads who are entrepreneurs running their own companies from abroad and people who still work nine to five for a big company back in the U.S., but just do it from wherever they choose. 
Now, before you say, but I have kids, I could never do this. There are actually people who do this with kids. Do a Google search for digital nomad with kids and you can read the stories of families that are traveling, working, and schooling together around the world. I think that takes next level courage and organizational skills to pull that off most likely, but some people are doing it. Now, this is not a new idea. People have been consumed by wanderlust for a long time. There was actually a book called Digital Nomad that came out back in 1997 about the early days of this trend, which amazed me because I'm thinking back to what internet access was like back then, and I really can't imagine trying to live that way without today's technology at hand. Interestingly, the book is temporarily out of stock on Amazon. Does that mean there was a run on this title recently? I'm not sure. But the conversation has no doubt changed a lot since 97. And in fact, the number of digital nomads is on the rise right now due to the pandemic. Some places are really welcoming them with open arms. The Washington Post published an article in February that talked about the long-term stay program Hawaii started in December, for example. Barbados has a program, as does Estonia. And Madeira has even constructed a community with free co-working space that the Post article likened to a summer camp for adults. Croatia, where Kathleen is staying until travel opens up again more, introduced a long-stay visa in January, and Kathleen is trying to get one right now. In normal times, though, when there aren't special long-stay visas available, Kathleen does move around more frequently. I usually move around every three months, um, Mm -hmm. partly because I get a little bit bored. That's why I live this way. And also due to visa restrictions, most countries you can stay for 90 days without a visa, especially in Europe. Um, And then any longer than that, you have to go through the residency process and extend. And that is quite difficult in uh, lots of countries. So it's easier to just go somewhere else. I asked Kathleen what gear she invested in when she first started traveling and working full time. For working gear, I found you don't need as much as you would think. I actually started, I didn't own a laptop, um, which was a bold choice on my part. So I started working. <laughs> I'd imagine you need one of those now. <laughs> I do. <laughs> Probably should have bought one earlier. Uh-huh. Um, I had like an 11-year-old MacBook that didn't really work. So <laughs> I started out writing on an iPad with a Bluetooth keyboard. And you oh, know what? Wow. It worked okay while I was getting started. Yeah. I... I really left into this um, with both feet. So mm-hmm. I would advise anyone who's thinking about it, bring a laptop. Yeah. Not fun <laughs> right? like that. that does seem like a bare bones minimum to have a yeah. computer. Uh-huh. Other than that, she says, all you really need is good Wi-Fi. I live in a thousand year old uh, stone building. So sometimes the Wi-Fi is uh-huh. not, not great. Uh, so I always check with, wherever I'm staying about their Wi-Fi speeds just to make sure that it has enough to do. Uh, you know, for me, it's not too bandwidth heavy. It's mostly Zoom calls. Mm-hmm. As long as I can do that, I'm fine. But if I needed anything more than that, I would always check with my Airbnb host or whoever I'm booking through to make sure that they have uh, consistent and strong Wi-Fi or work at a co-working space because they tend to have very fast internet, even if you're in a country where the internet is typically slow. Her clients are all located back in the U.S., so I was curious about whether she keeps normal working hours. It is interesting because since I'm in such a different time zone, um, mm-hmm. I do I did have to kind of divide up my workday. 
Yeah. So I do a lot of my quiet focused work where I'm just writing in the mornings from like nine to one. Yeah. So that's, that's a good focus time for me. But then I typically dedicate like 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. to um, answering live any questions that I have. That's when I schedule all of my uh, calls with clients if I have any coming up so that I don't have too many of those. But I do like to be available so that people can ask me questions in uh, real time. And there is the occasional, you know, workday that lasts until 10 or 11 p.m. when things come in late. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Especially with West Coast clients, because that's not late for them. So, yeah. but otherwise, it's not too bad. I get a nice midday break to live the Mediterranean lifestyle. I mm. spent three hours uh, drinking coffee <laughs> in the cafe. So, <laughs> not bad. What surprised you most in your first year of, of travel? I think one of the things that surprised me was how full my fulfilling my days could still be without work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought I might get bored. Not sure why I thought that. I'm a person who's interested in lots of things. I, say, but I don't think that would surprise me at all. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty confident. I could see it without work. I, I, I have faith in myself in that regard. <laughs> yeah. There are so many great things to do that yeah. are not working. Um, and also I was surprised by, I've just met so many interesting people traveling mm-hmm. everywhere. I traveled by myself. Uh, so you meet so many people when you travel alone, which is great. And I met so many people who were living abroad and working abroad in so many different interesting ways, like running their own companies, Mm -hmm. freelancing, doing like seasonal work to fund their year round travels, things like that. Uh, so it was really inspiring to see so many different possible lifestyles from people who were very similar to me. I wouldn't have thought that um, I had that many options, but the more people I talked to, the more options I realized I had. And that was really encouraging. What was the biggest lesson you've learned along the way? It's that I'm capable. And I think mm. most people as well are capable of so much more than we would ever think just living our normal daily lives. Because in your normal life, you don't have to go too far out of your comfort zone generally. Yeah. I certainly did not. And then traveling the world for a whole year, totally by myself. Turns out I am capable of a lot of things. And then also now in jumping into freelance life, I had never thought it would be something that would appeal to me or something that I could find a lot of success in. And I really have. And it's been a huge confidence builder to realize that you are capable of doing a lot of things if you really want to do them. and you believe that you can do them, you usually can. Yeah. One of my first podcast episodes, actually, I we had a conversation about getting out of your comfort zone and taking risks and the fact that most people uh-huh. don't. We get, like you said, just kind of like really comfortable with our day-to-day. And even if we might have dreams of doing something different, it's really hard to take that first step and kind of get yourself out of your comfort zone. But usually when you do, even if there's some failures that come with it, that in learnings, you have to pick yourself back up, that usually like goodness ensues if you can manage yeah. to take that first step, right? And get yourself out there. And, and it sounds like that's definitely been true for you. Absolutely. And you know what? Failure is not as scary as it seems most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you learn a lot from it. Things that go sideways, you know, like living a traveling lifestyle and then having a pandemic hits that shut yeah, down didn't see that the one whole coming. world. Yeah, right. mm-hmm. <laughs> Did not see that one coming. Um, but 
get through all of that, you discover all sorts of unexpected benefits as well, like landing in Croatia. <laughs> would not have thought I would have done that, but mm-hmm. it's been incredible. So I think if you just dream, dreams are great, but you and taking the first step is the hardest part. It's really hard. Once you take that first step, all the rest of the steps are a lot easier. Yeah. It's kind of like you've already jumped off the cliff. Then yes, <laughs> getting into the water seems quite easy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I also wondered how safe Kathleen feels traveling alone as a woman. You know, the reality is that there are risks and dangers as a woman doing uh, anything anywhere in the world. You know, like in mm-hmm. Boston, I had scary experiences walking home from work at the end right. of the day. Yeah. I actually have fewer of those in most places abroad. I just always make sure that I have um, a working cell phone, like I get a local SIM card or a plan, uh-huh. like a phone plan where I can access my data while I'm abroad so that I can access maps or call someone or something like that. And that gives you real security. It's definitely something that makes traveling easier in these times. I have met so many more kind, welcoming, very helpful people uh, tenfold than I have met people who are, you know, threatening or scary or even just uh, unfriendly. And I couldn't let her go without asking an all-important question about being on the road for so long. How does she pack? Tell me about packing properly. And when I say properly, I mean packing light, which I struggle with all the time. Mm-hmm. But you're you told me that you're traveling around with just a backpack, right? Everything you yes. you own is in a backpack, so <laughs> which is yep. impressive. So what are um, your tips? Because I can't even pack for a weekend in a backpack. How are you, have you how do you have your life packed in a backpack? <laughs> Tell me about this. <laughs> it's, a, it's a small backpack too. I really went uh, all in. It's 35 liters, so it's, it's tiny. Um, one of the things that I always remember is that out of all the clothes you own, you wear, let's be real, especially, I think we have all learned this in COVID. We all wear the same three outfits over and over. It's so, so true. Pack those three outfits. Mm-hmm. Don't pack anything else. Don't pack your aspirational outfits. You will not wear them. <laughs> High heels are a pain. <laughs> yeah. Comfortable shoes. Um, and then also one of the things that I do to really lighten the load is I buy a lot of stuff when I get to wherever I am. Like I travel carry on only as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, you can really not have many liquids or anything. But everywhere I've been except for Laos, where it's hard to find much of anything, you can find sunscreen, makeup, body lotion, any of those big things that would normally take up a lot of space. I think I'll try the three outfit thing when I get back to traveling, but I don't know. I may not be disciplined enough for that. When it comes to the digital nomad lifestyle, though, I think I'll have to content myself for now with working from my home office, which I like a lot more than working in an office building, I have to say. But I think it's wonderful that there generally seems to be more flexibility for workers these days. Of course, some professions are not possible to do remotely, but if you're someone who needs nothing more than a computer and a good Wi-Fi connection to get your job done, I hope maybe today's conversation with Kathleen has inspired you to consider the possibility of trying out the digital nomad lifestyle. If you've tried it, I'd love to hear from you about your experience. You can reach me at liz at sevenplatespinning.com. That's liz at the number seven, platespinning.com. 
Kathleen blogs about her travels on her website, mylonesomeroads.com. So you can read about her adventures and get her tips for travel, both short and long-term there. She has special sections on being a digital nomad and tips around solo travel for women that you can check out. That's all for today's episode. Talk to you again soon. If you enjoyed today's episode, please visit sevenplatespinning.com and subscribe to continue listening. And consider leaving a rating or a review on whatever platform you access the podcast. I so appreciate your support. Thanks for listening. 